Today's Bible reading is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, which you can find on page 1052. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I branched out a little this year and I read Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. And it was one of those books I've often heard people talk about and I thought, I've never mentioned that. I've never read that. Or turn my microphone on. <laughs> Did you catch any of that? <laughs> I read Wuthering Heights, um, and uh, thanks, Steve. Um, and uh, there is a character, a minor character, really, in Wuthering Heights. He's called Joseph, and he's the servant in the house. And he is, in theory, a Christian, but he is described early on as the most wearisomest, self-righteous Pharisee that ever ransacked the Bible to rake the promises to himself and fling the curses to his neighbours. So, nice man. <laughs> and sure enough, he sort of stomps around the house. He's the, he's the servant, but he's just cursing everybody and he's miserable about everything. And he goes off to church and lets everybody know that he's going to church and comes back to quote the Bible at everybody else. There is a danger. If you're a Christian, a churchgoer of any sort, you can freeze over into that kind of icy, spiky, self-righteous Phariseeism that Joseph in Wuthering Heights has. You'd be really nasty to be around because you've absorbed enough of the Bible to know some stuff and regurgitate it, but just something hasn't caught. Indeed, that's what Jesus is warning about today in verse 9. He says, do you see that? To some, this is the sort of the point of it all for him, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So that's, that's it. That's why he's telling it, to some, some who are confident in their own righteousness. He said they were self-righteous people. And they looked down on everyone else. And it's, it's extra dangerous because self-righteousness, it seems to me, is something that you can't necessarily spot in yourself. If you'll forgive me this illustration, it's a little bit like body odour. You know, if you're, if you're stinky, you can't, you can't always tell. It, it's, but the other people around you, oh, you know, I wish that person would have a wash. Um, indeed, I'm reminded of a, 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 bad, a bad time in my own life when, um, 
This is a few years ago now. Um, I was going, I'd been asked to give a talk in central London at a university. I thought, well, thank you very much. And um, I, it was cold. I had my big woolly jumper on that. It must have been about November like this. And I um, gave a talk. I was a bit nervous. And uh, I came away again. I was walking up Kingsway. I remember it distinctly in London. And I, I thought, oh, who hasn't had a wash then? Um, oh, well, never mind. I carried on walking up the street. And I thought, no, they're still around me. Who's following me? And then I got all the way to Hoban Tube. And then I thought... It's me! Oh no! And I was this big woolly jumper just staggered. I had to have a wash and shower. Anyway, very embarrassing. Turns out you're the, you're the stinky one. You're the self-righteous one you know, has, who has work to do. How embarrassing when you thought you were clean. And Jesus paints this story today. This is a made-up story, but it's designed to illustrate something right at the heart of Christianity in big, bold, bright colors. Be careful. If you're confident of your own righteousness and you're looking down on others, be careful. Because Jesus actually condemns that person's prayer. And it's the very unlikely character, the tax collector, who gets lifted up and Jesus says, you are going home justified. So let's look at that story together and we're basically going to look at the two characters. I do feel like in this story is contained, is is summarized. I mean, you could sort of get the whole, whole of Romans out of this story. Everything that is possible to say in theological principles, Jesus is also saying in a story. Someone, one of you said to me this week, this is the story that my Christian parents told me and I remember from my childhood. It's just one of those few stories that I really retain from my Christian upbringing. So this, this in many ways is one of the great, succinct stories that illustrates the heart of the Christian faith. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you wanted it in a, in a sentence, I'd say this. God will bring the self-righteous down and lift the humble up. Which is where it's really what Jesus says in verse 14. So, the two characters then. Let's start off as Jesus does with the Pharisee. He says, imagine, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was a very religious Jew in those days. They would have been looked up to, so don't immediately go, oh, boo, hiss. You know, they, actually, they were very respected people in their society. And so can you imagine him walk, Imagine we're, we're the temple. He walks into church here. He's got social standing. He's got a degree of confidence. And it, he says, it says he stood by himself with sufficient confidence. So I imagine he walks in here and he stands. You know, and it, when we had our open prayer time, he prays. He's he's full of words of prayer to God. And he says, verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So, ready for an expensive visual aid? Here you go. Blew the budget on that. Um, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, I fast twice a week and give a tenth. Think, before, you, before you dismiss this guy's prayer, uh, which is tempting to do if you know the story, yeah, I know, I know that he's the one who comes out badly in the story. Yeah, yeah, but this is true. I mean, it's for the purposes of the story, I think he's telling the truth. I think he does fast twice a week. I think he does give a tenth of all he gets. So it's worth just stopping yourself and going, hmm, would I actually measure up, you know, to, do I, do I do that before I condemn this guy already? Um, so I think that's what we're supposed to think. Here's, here's, here's a guy who genuinely thinks this is what I'm doing and this is what's giving him confidence in life. 
course, the trouble with the prayer is he's basically saying, God, I thank you. I'm such a great guy. <laughs> I thank you for me. And there's, there, therein is the, the, the high degree of self-confidence and self-righteousness. If Jesus graded this prayer, here's the shocking thing. Impressive though his actions are, the grade would be, you know, it, it would be an F if it was a piece of homework. It would, if it was a presentation at work, Jesus would take this guy to task. He would say, you haven't understood. You need, you need to learn. Because, why, why is that? Why, hang, on, uh, hang on a minute, because that's, that's good. Good actions. The guy seems confident. What's the problem? Verse 14 is the problem. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So it's because the Pharisee has exalted himself, it's because he's lifted himself up confidently into the presence of a holy God, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm not like the rest of mankind. That's the problem, the exalting of himself. How is your brain feeling? Are you ready? I want you to do a little bit of mental heavy lifting. Okay, got enough energy? I'd love the, to put a big theological word in your brain and to have you... I want it to stay there for the rest of your life and for you to often marvel at it. Justification is the word. You see how Jesus is talking about justification here? He says, verse 14, the tax collector rather than the Pharisee went home justified before God. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the word Jesus wants you to think about and it comes up often in the Bible. The Pharisee's problem is that he's trying to be justified by works. And what Jesus is going to commend is something else. We'll get to that. But being justified in many ways is our life's work, isn't it? I mean, you can spend years trying to be justified, acceptable, if you like, in the eyes of, well, anyone really, can you? Your mum or your dad, your peer group, your boss, the, per the person you love or have set your heart on. Oh, if I could be acceptable in that person's eyes, my life would be heaven. That would be brilliant. And sometimes you feel you've got there and sometimes you feel you haven't. Here's the thing Jesus is pointing out. You can't be justified by works. I mean, if you could be justified by works, and this guy is nailing it, but Jesus' verdict is not that. So you can't be justified by works. And this is, like I say, there are letters and letters in the Bible pointing this out in more words. If it were just a matter of that, then I'd say, go away, fast twice a week, everybody. Make sure you're giving away 10% and you're good. But that ain't how it works. Um, have you ever heard of Martin Luther? He was the guy in the church history who really discovered this rich seam of thought. So 500 years ago, he was living in Germany. He was a monk. He, was, he grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And um, he started writing. He actually wrote a little book called The Freedom of a Christian, if you want something old and brilliant to read. It's called On the Freedom of a Christian. Um, I read it 18 years ago, and the lights just went on in my head. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, discovered that in, in the face of lots of the church which was teaching justification by works, he said, but Jesus and the apostles are teaching a different sort of way to be right with God. Justification by works, if you like, doesn't work. That was such a dangerous idea that still when my mum was growing up in the Catholic church um, 60 years ago, they said, don't read Martin Luther. Don't read that stuff he's writing. Still very dangerous to some people. Hang on, you may say, uh, uh, objection, because although I can sort of understand what you're saying, um, 
our society does work according to justification by works. So we believe in a meritocracy where you can rise to the top if you're good and you put the work in, and that's kind of the dream, isn't it? Yes, in business. But families don't work that way, and neither do governments, actually. And, and God doesn't set, set the world up that, that way either. So families, we, we don't do that. Do we? we don't say to our kids, if you're good enough today, I'll feed you. And if you're naughty, I'm not going to give you any food. <laughs> no, because the social services would get involved. You don't do, do that to a child. I mean, we still want them to behave, but it's not, that's not the system. And, and we don't say, if you do well in your exams, then I'll love you. And if you don't, then I, I won't. Because that's mean. And governments don't wait that way either. So we don't say to people, you can have access to the NHS if you're nice and if you behave. Actually, everyone's entitled to get the, the basic government welfare system that we've set up. And I think we'd say that's a good thing. So much of our society doesn't actually work on justification by works because we recognise it, it can only achieve so much. Now... God doesn't do that either when he justifies people. But you see why this is so subtle? It's because it's to do with your heart. Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So what he's talking about is he can, he can x-ray your heart. He can tell if you've exalted yourself, even if in public you appear to be doing that. So it's like, I'm thinking of it this week, like he's, he's just turning me inside out. Do you get that feeling? Like, oh Lord, it, like, it just feels like you can see everything that's on the inside. And, and, and if that's the case, then what hope do I possibly have? If, if you get to that point, if you're sitting there at that point today, then I just want to say to you, good. That's actually a really good point to get to in order that you can then understand the good news. Should we go on to talk about the good news? Really, the good, the good news is embodied here with the tax collector. He's our second character. So we thought about the Pharisee. Let's think about now about the, the tax collector. You should know, just before we read uh, what he says, they were hated in those days um, for two reasons. Really, because they were thieves and they were traitors. So they, they were known as nasty pieces of work. They were, they were um, traitors because they collaborated with the occupying Romans and they would take the money off their own people, the Jews, and they would hand it over, hand it over to the Romans. And they were thieves because they would often cream off a little bit for themselves. So if VAT is 20%, they charge you 25 and they take you know, 5%. Thank you very much. It's going to line my pocket. So nobody likes tax collectors in those days because they rob, rob from the poor and give to the rich. But the tax collector comes to the temple and prays in the story. Interesting. Okay. But he stands at a distance. So if the Pharisee bowls in here and stands confidently near the front, I imagine our tax collector is way down the back there, maybe praying in the open doorway, can't lift his eyes up to heaven. And have you found the little picture I put on your service sheet, on, on your sermon sheet as a picture if it would help you. I think, I think of him standing there with his eyes lowered, barely audible, praying a little prayer to God. Verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's his prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. What is it about that? I mean, that if if this if we're saying this is one of the parables and, and this is the positive statement Jesus puts into his mouth, what is it about that? 
that seems for Jesus to sum up so much of what he wants us to learn. Well, I think if I can put it this way, it comes down at bottom to this. The tax collector needed God and the Pharisee didn't. Because the Pharisee really prayed, God, I, I thank you, I'm not like other men. He's, he prays a prayer of thanks, but it's really all about him. And so what? You don't actually need God at all because you're doing it all on yourself in your own eyes. But the, the tax collector comes and says, Lord, I need you. I need your mercy. I, uh, you see my life. You see my heart. There is no way I'm getting out of this unless you are who you say you are. So I think at bottom, it, it does come down to... to one needing God and the other not. And the, the word at the heart of it all is mercy, isn't it? Have mercy on me. That's the substance of what he's asking for. The word is literally to propitiate or to have uh, atoning mercy. You might remember that word propitiate from our communion card. Do you know when we have mercy, there's a whole loads of there's really long words that sort of tumble over one another. Um, and particularly it says to propitiate. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father and he is the propitiation for our sins, which is not a word we use very often. But think of it this way. I think Jesus deliberately wants that in mind because, okay, help me out here. In the story, where are the characters standing? Anybody? In the temple. So Jesus has deliberately put them in the temple. So I think it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to say Jesus has them there in the temple looking into the Holy of Holies past the burnt offerings. Right, you remember Leviticus if you've been here earlier in the year. Burnt offerings are these um, animal sacrifices being offered on the altar and this is not the tabernacle but it is the temple. So they're still there twice a day being offered. So the Jesus, I think, wants this tax collector standing there, looking towards the temple, smelling the burnt offerings, thinking, Lord, I want you to have mercy on me according to what you're promising here. If, if you know, we're talking about body odor, B.O., in the same way that you need to smell your own B.O. in order to have a wash, you need to smell the B.O., the burnt offering that God is offering you in order to know you've got a problem. I see how serious this is. I see that I need it, and I know that I need it. I've called today's sermon, The Churchgoer Who Didn't Need God. And uh, I think it's possible to come to church and not really need God. Lord, um, I'm doing okay, actually. So I don't really need Jesus to come to earth. I don't really need a saviour for my sins. They really need that baby to be born at Christmas time or that, that Messiah to die at Easter time. No, I'm, I'm all right. And oh my goodness, you see how it's possible to be that kind of Christian churchgoer because you don't even need God. But how desperately the tax collector needed God and how desperately you and I do when you actually stop to look at the burnt offering or in a New Testament sense, you stop to look at the cross. How polluted my heart must be if it took that to save me. So my friends, I might be pushing this too far, but do you smell the B.O.? <laughs> do you smell the burnt offering? For a Christian, Jesus Christ is the burnt offering. 
He died for us and for our salvation, as we said in the creed. He died to take away the bad smell of sin. He died to swap places with us so that we could be justified. He died so that um, it could be just as if I'd been Jesus, rather than me trying to be justified by myself. And I think Jesus looks beautiful in this light because he comes to save us before we've even realized how stinky we are. So, how do you know then if you're a Pharisee or a tax collector today? You don't want to be like Joseph in Wuthering Heights, do you? Raking the promises of the Bible to yourself and flinging out the curses at others. You don't want to be the most wearisomest self-righteous Pharisee. Well, look, <clears throat> don't just copy these words. It struck me this week, actually, it's tempting just to say, well, I've just got to use those, that sort of magic form of words, God have mercy on me, a sinner, and then I'm all right. But actually, that, that can just rebound on you. I can just become a, a way of parroting things by rote. But Jesus is saying the principle is about humility before God. So the first 14 is where it ends up. And indeed, he gives us two extra clues at the beginning of the paragraph. So um, let's just think about them before we finish. Uh, the, the Pharisee was confident in his own righteousness and he looked down on everyone else. Or if you want to flip it round, you need to be not confident in your own self-righteousness and not look down on other people. What does it mean? If, if you're confident of your own righteousness, well, it's interesting to think about how you might finish your own prayer, isn't it? I, the reason I gave you speech bubbles on your sermon sheet was so that if you wanted, you could write in your own speech. I mean, if you were, if you were playing the pure self-righteousness game and I asked you to take a pen right now and say, God, I thank you that, you know, and you, you wrote down the best things about your spirituality, what would you write? Do it if you, if you like. You might say things like, Lord, I give away X percent of all I get. Lord, I, I read the Bible most days. I evangelize. I try and do family devotions with my children. I, I pray. You might have a different list. What, what would you write? Those are good things, but just don't put confidence in them. Don't put confidence in your own righteousness. Whereas the, the tax collector has the attitude that says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or as I've been saying to you, God, I need you. So you could, you could go through the various things in your life and think, well, how do I need God? You need God for atonement, of course. There is no forgiveness for your polluted heart otherwise. I think um, you might think, Lord, I really need you in this relationship. This relationship is so strained right now in my life but with me and this other person that I really need you. Very healthy place to be in because you need the Lord. You, you might be in a health crisis and you might think, Lord, I, I need you in this health crisis. A healthy place to be, really, spiritually. Or you might think, I'm in this ministry situation, Lord, I'm involved in doing this thing for you and I really need you because we have so few resources. That's how I feel when we talk about planting churches. Lord, it has to be you. I need you for this vision. It's a healthy place to be. And so on. But whenever you get to a situation where you need God today, this week, or in the years to come, I think with your head screwed on, you can count yourself blessed and you could say, Ah, thank you, Lord. Have mercy on me. And then the other thing we talked about was um, not, not just being confident of your own righteousness, but looking down on others. So a Pharisee, a Pharisee mindset um, gets very defensive about criticism. How are you doing with that? 
know, when someone criticizes you and oh, it really touches a nerve and that really winds you up, well, if your whole world begins to crack at that point, it, it, it might be because you're looking down on others and you're just desperately trying to elevate yourself as high as you possibly can by your own works. Sarah and I went on holiday once with another family and um, we had a really nice week with, with this family. Um, but at the end of the week, one of the parents in the other family criticized our parenting. Um, having seen us parent for seven days. <laughs> um, it wasn't violent or angry or anything. It was just a sort of, um, little comment. But we went away from it and talked about it. And we thought, did that hurt? Yeah, did that hurt? Yeah, it really did. Because you know, they were seeing the way we were dealing with one of our children. It took us a week before we, we looked at one another, Sarah and I, and went, do you know what? Um, they were kind of right, and they didn't even see all the ways we're failing as parents. You know, if, if they'd wanted to, they could have made a list, but they didn't. Um, so, you know, actually, if you're justified by mercy rather than works, if you're justified by grace, then it's possible to say, do you know what, you don't even know the half of it. I'm actually much worse than you think, and the Lord loves me anyway. So there's a tremendous freedom in, in taking criticism that way. A Pharisee also hates losing, so um, you know, they, they can't bear to lose because suddenly they're down the pecking order, they're down the league table. It implies that someone else is more righteous than them. So if there is a subtle air of competition in your life, you know, if you generally love to win, even at the expense of your loved ones, if losing is one of the most shameful things you can imagine, and winning is the thing you replay over and over in your mind, I think that might mean you're looking down on other people. Whereas the attitude of the tax collector can say, I don't always have to win. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm adopted, I'm justified. I could actually lose again and again and again. I could, feel, I could finish bottom of the league table in life. I could be like the Burnley Football Club of the human race. They're, they're bottom of the Premier League, by the way, at the moment, not, do, not doing terribly well. But I, I, that would, I would still consider myself a winner because Jesus loves me. Wow, that's liberating. And um, final thought, um, menial tasks are, I think, a way that we can tell if we're looking down on others or not. You know, if, if you're looking down on others and someone hands you the toilet brush or the dodgy job at work, you think, oh, really? You want me to do that? Well, do you know what? If you're not looking down on others, you, you're willing to do it for the team. But if you are, then it's really hard to take. Pharisees like public tasks, like praying in the temple, being visible, getting the glory, whereas um, humble tax collectors are happy being at the back. They're happy praying on their own. They don't need to be seen by others, although they're happy to pray with others. They're a bit like a rare bird. You know, you might find them out in the wild, just being beautiful, doing something amazing, and you might think, oh, I didn't even know, and that's kind of the point. No, you didn't know, and you didn't have to know. Maybe you might spot a, a tax collector out in the wild this week who's just serving Jesus and it might make your heart glad and you might have a chance to encourage them. Brothers and sisters, our time has gone. Um, this is our God. This is why I wanted to come to you today and talk about this amazing story. I feel I haven't done it justice, but maybe I've brought out some things for you to marvel about, about our Lord. At the end of the day, he will bring the self-righteous down, but he will lift the humble up. Let's pray. Maybe you want to talk to the Lord just, just in the silence of your own heart and, and you want to do business with him before you leave here today. I'll give you a moment to do that.
to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on others. Jesus told this parable. Oh Lord, would you have mercy on us, we pray. I I, I feel you turned me inside out, x-rayed my heart and found it um, not, not good enough and full of pollution. But there's no surprises for you and for some reason you love us anyway. And we praise you for that. I feel I see the heart of Christ all over again, and I love it. Thank you for loving us as we are. And Oh, Lord, would you keep us from being confident in our own righteousness and looking down on others? And would you give us that amazing, liberating, family of God feeling of just being who we are because that's what you made us to be, and you love us and forgive us. Would you give us that justification by mercy and help us not to tread on our own justification by works ever again? Amen.